But uh, yeah, sorry, I can't do anything else. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We read a verse from it earlier today, actually half a verse. We're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Romans 12, chapter 1, reading through verse 8. We're continuing our series in Gifted with these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body, With many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. This is one of those passages you might be familiar with, you might not be familiar with, but I hope even in a single reading you can recognize you could sit in for a long time. You could live in Romans 12, 1 through 8, and if you keep going in the chapter, you'll see it only gets juicier. We're continuing this series on gifted. We had two weeks of Jesus in politics, and I'm not sure if anything political's happened since then, but we're going back into the gifts, and our focus will remain steadfastly on the Lord as we bless this nation, right? as we bless other nations like Georgia with the gifts that God has given to us. A few weeks ago, we talked about, I'm going to bring up a chart. Eric gave us a chart, and some of us found it helpful. Some of us realized we needed glasses. And on the left, we've got what we are calling these five purposes of ministry from Ephesians chapter 4. And a healthy church is exemplary in all five of these things. It's apostolic in that it is growing outside of itself, right? It's planting new churches and new neighborhoods consistent with the faith that was given to us through Christ himself. It's prophetic in that it calls to the people of the world that they would be faithful to the righteousness of God. And it calls to the people of the world that they would be faithful to the marginalized and the weak of the world. And that God himself would remember them. Righteousness. It's evangelistic, in that it shares the good news that we ourselves have received, this news, this word of life. It's shepherding, in that it walks through the valleys with people to the other side. And, of course, it's teaching, because if we don't have the truth, what do we have? And a healthy church is all of these things. That can be kind of daunting. It's less daunting than the number of gifts that are compiling on the top row, 
And so we've got apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And the few weeks before we started our Jesus and Politics series, we talked about all of those things and how any one of those gifts can help fulfill or serve to fulfill any one of those purposes of the church. Does that make sense? So if I'm a person who has a gift of faith, I can be apostolic with my faith. I can be shepherding with my faith. I can be teaching with my faith, etc. If I'm a person who's prophetic, I can actually speak prophetically towards the prophetic purpose, or I can speak prophetically to teach somebody. You see how that works? Tracking a little bit? And so today, we're adding from Romans chapter 12 the gift, and I like to articulate the spiritual gift, of service of helping, of encouragement, of giving, of leadership, of mercy, and of administration. And I'd like to recognize that it's getting a little overwhelming, because the list could go on, couldn't it? Nothing about playing guitar up there, so it seems like it's not complete. And so today... We're going to talk specifically about some of those gifts, about what it is to be a person who works the gift of service or help, helpfulness or, or generosity, right, or administration and how valuable that is and how that makes you like God. But really, we're going to kind of shift gears back to something we talked about before because we can't just keep adding to a list that is going to grow and grow and grow and grow. Our objective is not to make an exhaustive list of, list of gifts, but to learn how to recognize gifts, how to celebrate gifts and how to use gifts well. Does that make sense? Because I am of the belief that we are a people who don't do that well. In fact, we only celebrate a couple gifts, right? I'm looking around this room, and I'm seeing people who are extremely gifted, and nobody knows about it. And at face value, that's okay. That's totally fine. And yet, I'd love for you to be celebrated. And I'd love for you to feel the value that the Lord sees you with. In fact, our task this morning is actually kind of impossible. We sang a lot about how good God is, and the barrier between us saying that God is good and believing that God is good is actually pretty vast, and I don't know how to communicate to you that God is actually good except by living it with you. In the same way, sometimes the barrier between believing that I'm a person who's gifted, that I'm a person who's valuable to the ministry of the church, I can tell you, Roxanne, you're gifted. You're a blessing to this community. And yet, no matter how many times I tell it to her face, she might not believe it, <laughs> right? But it's true. And so our task today is not to say really anything other than that, but to start eroding the shame and the pride and the lies that we carry that keep us from believing the goodness of God and the giftedness of ourselves and our community. I want to go back to this text. If you will, open up Romans 12 again. And there's this idea of being a living sacrifice right at the top. Let's read it again together. Put the words on your lips. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. Now, there's so much to talk about here, like we already said, but I'm just going to give us a little bit of framework. A sacrifice 
is when you bring an animal to the tabernacle or the temple, and I'll move this out of the way, and you hand it over to the priest, and it's lifted up, and the priest uses their sharp knives and all their strength, and they <laughs> slit its throat. And the blood spills out, and then people either eat of it or it's all burned up because the fire around the altar consumes it. It's pretty gruesome. It's pretty graphic. Don't miss that as we read what Paul is asking us to be. Back off. Let's, you know, calm down a little bit about the gore and the blood. And recognize that an offering is in and of itself a very humble thing. And to give an offering is an act of humility. Right? If I am proud, I do not give an offering to somebody because I don't believe they deserve it, because I deserve it. And an offering in and of itself is a dead animal. You can't be more humiliated than that. And so there's this base work of humility before Paul gets into talking about the gifts that this living sacrifice idea brings out. And there's also, on the other hand, equally strong this idea of gratitude. And in fact, humility and gratitude are really the two sides of the same coin. Are you tracking with this? Getting our theological framework down. And so Paul is calling us, here's some gifts he gives as an example, but before he even talks about the gifts, he says, your approach to the gifts, the way you think about your gifts, as a person who is a living sacrifice is through this lens of humility and gratitude. Say, humility and gratitude. And why is that an important thing to think about? Well, let's go to the next slide. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, back one, there we go, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I've got a coin in my right hand, and it's on one side humility and on the other side gratitude. And on the other hand, I've got a coin that it's competing against, and it's called pride. Say it, pride. Raise your hand if you're proud. Raise your hand if you're ashamed. Raise your hand if you know that those are the same thing. Go with me to Genesis. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Is God actually good? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her the whole time, and he ate it. And they wanted to be like God because they were proud. 
And then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, trying to draw near to them. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, he answered, because I was naked, so I hid. And so in Genesis, from the very beginning, we get this picture or this question. Am I like God or am I naked? Right? I want to be like God. I'm proud. But I'm naked. I'm full of shame. Therefore, I need to eat the fruit so that I can be like God because I'm ashamed. But I want to be like God because I'm proud. Are you tracking? We've got this thing, this same question to desire to be like God, to be full of pride, is to be full of shame. And I look at our community, and I see a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful group of people, and I asked you to raise your hands, and it confirmed my suspicion. We're a community that is more susceptible to the shame side of that coin to the pride side of that coin. It's a stick, right? It's a stick that says, I'm not enough. It's a stick that says, I don't belong here. It's a stick that says, I can't achieve anything important. Therefore, I need to compensate. Therefore, I'm going to be filled with pride and boast about myself in ways that are unhealthy, or therefore, I'm going to hide in shame. And it's a stick that all of us deal with. It's the beginning of the human crisis of sin in the world. All of us carry it, and yet the Lord is calling us out of it. I see in this community, and this is not to be condemning, this is to be hopeful and opportunistic, a tendency towards shame. Have you experienced this? Some of you are new here. I pray that you haven't. This church, I've only been here for a little over a year, so most of this is through stories, has experienced some hardship. In fact, it was born out of hardship. And sometimes when you take a step in faith and in courage and in bravery through something difficult and hardship is what you get out of it, you pull back. You embrace the shame that says, well... This is all we are. We can't be much more. Yeah? You felt this before? There's two ways I think that this materializes, especially in our community. And the first one is this. Shame problem number one. I devalue my gift. Go back to that graph if you will. If some of you are good at helping others, do you think you're as important as someone who's apostolic? You might nod yes, but in your heart of hearts, you know, if all I can do is give a word of encouragement, I don't matter that much. And yet it's a lie. The first thing I want to say I put the question, I devalue my gift in the first person because public perception about your gift and its value actually doesn't matter that much, right? Our responsibility as a church, like I mentioned before, is to celebrate the giftedness of all people, to lift up 
in celebration and in glory the foot just as much as the eye because each is essential to the body. Yet, how others perceive my gift does not matter that much. Was Jesus gifted? Yeah. (laughs) Was Jesus well-received? No. (laughs) So if you are given a gift by God and other people devalue it, should you care? Should you pull back from utilizing that gift in your community? Absolutely not. Use it. Be faithful with it. And yet, we're human. (laughs) And it's hard because we want to belong and we want to feel our value, and that's okay. But I devalue my gift because I carry it with shame. Give some examples, not of people who devalue their gift, but of people who have gifts and who live into their gifts in this community in a way that is beautiful and that is too often unnoticed. Um, And we're going to use the metaphor of the bass guitar. Jason Ricker is here in this room somewhere, maybe out there. He plays bass with us. Have any of you ever heard a bass guitar? You'll all raise your hand. But if you're not paying attention, it goes completely unnoticed, right? You've experienced this? And yet, if we did this exact same worship set this morning without the bass guitar, none of you would like it. (laughs) Maybe some of you would. But these gifts and these gifted people are like the bass guitar of our church. You might not notice it. You might not hear it unless you're paying extra close attention to it. And yes, yet it gives the foundation, it gives the body, it gives the life to the music and to the church. Susie and Kurt Humphrey are here. Susie doesn't think that highly of herself. I don't think Kurt does either. But I do. Susie has the gift of encouragement. Have any of you spoken to her Yeah, and every time you have, you've come away thinking better of yourself than you did before. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that remarkable? Kurt has the gift of teaching. He hasn't been up here teaching in this space yet, and yet if you go into his community a little more, you'll see a large circle and generations of it of people who he's taught who are better because of it. And because they're better because of it, their neighborhoods are better because of it. Here's a gift of teaching. And it's not this public, grand thing that's on display, but kind of like the teachers who are up, like Karen, who leads it now, and the many of the volunteers with the children who teach, who teach, who teach, and who lay the seeds of truth into a community so that its foundation, so that its base can be established. We praise the Lord for these gifts. They are not devalued. Michael Clark Drebus is in this room. How long have you been leading CR? You don't want to confess how old you are, is that what you're saying? (laughs) I can't remember. Faith and faithfulness to something that is important. Commitment to a cause over a long period of time. A willingness to love people who are the least of these is a spiritual gift that he possesses, that we will not devalue. And we'll celebrate you, I hope, because of it. 
Because in the way that Susie encourages, she's like God. In the way that Kurt teaches, he's like God. In the way that uh, Michael is faithful and committed, he is like God to our community. And that's what having gifts of the Spirit is about, is about being like God to your community. Kelly was just up here. Her study, her giftedness, is primarily in business administration, the highest most glorious of spiritual gifts. Yes. <laughs> Think of a world without faithful administration and responsible administration. God counts and knows the name of all of the stars in heaven. Do you think God is administrative? I would not be here if not for Natalie Youngner in her administrative promptness and faithfulness. I learned about an opening and a need here, and I applied, and within two days, I had an interview. She was like God in that way. Judy Vanderbrook is somewhere in here. Have any of you noticed how lovely our gardens look? She did it. I think her grandchildren helped her, and that was it. Did you know God is a gardener? God is a gardener. He made a garden, and he made us to be gardeners. The church cannot represent God in the world without good gardeners, and I believe that. Judy Vanderbrook was like God to this community in her faithfulness to the ground around it. We celebrate that gift. There's value in the peculiarities and the oddities and the lowly bass guitars of our congregation. And in all those ways, they're like Jesus, right? Because I can't think of a single person who I listed who asked for any praise for it. They just wanted to serve, be faithful with their gift. Like God, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And when we're full of pride, we elevate some gifts above the others, wishing to be praised, wishing to be like God. And though we might have great spiritual gifts of prophecy or of performing miracles or healings, we're not like Jesus as we do them because we're filled with pride. Does that make sense? And yet, some of us, I fear, don't value our gifts and don't understand that we are like God and acting in them and in the same way are rejecting the Lord and the way of Christ among us because God gave you that gift and he called you to be like God in this community. In other words, your gift matters. It matters a lot. And whatever your gift is, whether you think it matters or not, you belong here. And only together, because I can't garden, I don't have the gift of encouragement and I'm certainly not administrative. <laughs> Only together, as we belong to each other, as we belong to the Lord, as we draw near to God and as we draw near to each other, does the world see what God is really like? And that's what we do this for. Shame problem number two. I resist new gifts because I devalue myself. Maybe you've come to a place where you say, yeah, I am a pretty good encourager, but that's all I'll ever be. I'm a pretty good singer, but I can't learn how to play the piano or something like that. I resist new gifts because I devalue myself. 
I hope this is fairly self-explanatory, but I want to tell a story of a way in which I saw it hinder a community. I went to school in Southern California, a place called Point Loma Nazarene University. It's the prettiest place in the world. And we, uh, we meaning myself and lots of other friends, had a friend. Um, well, actually, I'll start here. We had a Wednesday night gathering that was like a chapel service, but it was led by students. And um, there was a, a girl who spoke at one of these, um, and she spoke about her experiences on the mission field, kind of like Kelly and it happened to include some miraculous stories and miraculous healings. And there was a girl who was a friend of ours who had just broken her leg the week prior. While she was hiking, she stepped in a hole and ankle and shin. And a group of students said, hey, we should pray for her to be healed like we heard in these stories. And so we went down um, to a beautiful spot on campus because that's anywhere on this campus. And a large group of students pretty large, my estimation is probably wrong, but 20 to 30 gathered around this girl and prayed for her. She had a soft cast on in preparation to get a hard cast a few days later. She rode around in a golf cart everywhere on campus because she was injured. There were lots of hills. And we prayed for her. And as we prayed for her, she got the sense from the Lord that she should remove the Velcro from the cast, the boot. And so she did, and as she did, what was once a numb leg below the knee filled with feeling. And then she said, I think I should remove the wraps. And she removed the wraps, and she started to move her ankle around, and she said, I think I should try and walk on it. (laughs) And she did. And she was better. Completely. She threw away the cast. Actually, I think she hung it up on her wall for a while. And then got rid of the golf cart. I mean, that was the end of the story. And people were like, what happened? I was lucky enough at the time to be somewhat familiar with healings and miracles in this way, but a lot of people, this was their first experience. And even for me, few more remarkable things have I seen. And the news went through the grapevine of the campus, and it was kind of a big deal. And we had a chapel service, this time led by one of the chaplains, a wonderful woman who I speak very highly of, who said, this great thing happened but a lot of the time, healing doesn't happen. And then she went on that path. To which I say, amen. A lot of the time, healing doesn't happen. But what you've done is resist something that God is offering us for the sake of safety, for the sake of familiarity. We're going to be a community that doesn't value healing as the greatest of all gifts better than the other ones, right? We're not going to act with pride as if the electric guitar is more important than the bass just because it's on the front of the stage, right? But we're also not going to devalue the great things and the things that God is calling to us beyond our comfort zone. Shame keeps us from getting there. Shame says, I've never had that gift before. All I can do is be helpful. And I want to look at you and say, being helpful is so important, and yet you don't know what God has for you around the corner. Do not resist what he might be calling you to. What incredible gift he might need to instill you with to resolve a problem, to heal a sick one, to find a lost one. Don't resist new gifts just because you devalue yourself. Because God doesn't devalue you. God values you. And God will use you in accordance with your willingness to be used not with how highly you think of yourself.
Amen. We're coming near the end. I've got just the last few thoughts as we consider what does it mean for us to be a living sacrifice, to be a community of giftedness. And I really do think it, it largely comes back to this idea of shame, of belonging, that I don't matter, that I can't matter, that I'm insignificant, that I'm common. And I was really struck by a favorite artist of mine, a guy named John Mark McMillan, who shared these thoughts. And so I'm just going to steal his words because they were good. And he said this, I've been having weird thoughts. Sounds familiar? And I started thinking about the universe and how the universe is mostly empty space, right? Any physicists in here? Astronomers? It's mostly empty space. Most of the universe is nothing, nothing at all. And the parts of the universe that are something are very, very, very small. Think of it this way, from where you're standing, or in this case sitting, right now, if you looked in any direction, pick a spot and point, for millions, maybe billions, maybe trillions, not of miles, but of light years even, you would probably not find anything. If you're lucky, maybe you'd run into like a planet or a star or some gas, you know. But generally speaking, the space between those things is so massive that most of the world is nothing at all. And I started thinking about this. In a universe where most of it is nothing, you guys, now I'm speaking directly to you, are something. Right? I am something. We are something. Where there is mostly nothing, we are something. So number one you are in no way, shape, or form remotely insignificant or common. There is nothing common about you. So not only would you not find much of anything out in the universe, to continue this train of weird thoughts, and in his perspective, there's probably life out there. We don't know. But maybe not. We haven't found it. Regardless, even more difficult to find than something is life. Right? Right? That's even more difficult than just simple matter. So not only do you exist, not only did you win the cosmic lottery just by existing, number two, you're actually alive. I am alive. And here's something else to think about. Most people who ever lived are dead. But you're not. You won the cosmic lottery three times in a row. Can you calculate the odds? No, of course not. The odds are staggering. Against all odds, we exist, you and I. All the living people exist on this blue speck that is suspended in this black abyss of nothingness. And if you just get like a click, even a half a click away from this blue speck that we call Earth, the universe will kill you instantly. So where most of the universe would kill you, because almost anywhere you go in the universe, you will die instantly. I mean, we'll die here too, but you'll die instantly anywhere else. We are here. Now, let that sink in for a moment. So not only do you exist, you exist in the only place you could exist. And while most people are dead, you are alive, right? And we're here right now to experience that. And while uh, 
your life is a wink, right? But it's a miracle of a wink. And I'm not trying to discount the afterlife. I'm going to let Jesus deal with that part of it, but what we're talking about now is the part we can deal with, which is now. Your life, my life, is by my definition a miracle. A miracle. I've done a lot of thinking over the last several weeks about what I want to do with my miracle. Do I want to sleep through my miracle? Do I want to waste my miracle on anger and resentment? Do I just want to tap out and walk like a zombie from beginning to the end of my blink of a miracle? Or do I want to fully engage with the miracle that is my life? I'm most interested in that option. Yeah? And in John Mark's words, I think there's a word for that. I think that word is gratitude, and it brings us back to that very place where we started. You are not common. You are not insignificant. But you've been given life, and it is remarkable. Not only have you been given life, you've been given a peculiar life to yourself with a giftedness that somebody needs. And so we can offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice saying, Lord, I don't deserve this. (laughs) But all that I am, Lord, I'm going to give to you because you can take what I will waste and turn it into something beautiful. Right? The seed that is planted in the earth that dies that turns into into a tree or a flower. I want to make some additions to John Mark's questions. Ask them with you. Do I want to offer my life up on the altar of complaint, right? Maybe the world's not going the way that I wish it was. I'm on the losing team. The world stands against me. People stand against me. Do I want to offer my life up on that altar? Especially considering who Jesus was. Do I want to offer my life up on the altar to the God of victory and wine and celebration and because I feel like a winner right now and I'm really proud about it, I'm going to celebrate it and push it in the face of my opponents. When Jesus, do I want to offer my life up early to the grave, believing that I'm too useless to be meaningful, or maybe I'm too old and I can't make a significant contribution anymore? When Abraham was like a bajillion before anything good happened and all of Israel was built on him. You're not too old. Do I want to hold my life so close to my chest, never in offering it up to anyone that I reject the opportunity to belong to Christ, to belong to a community, to be lifted up, to have my gifts valued in a way that I didn't think they would be valued, to have new gifts emerge for me in a way that I didn't expect, to share something miraculous that is you, that is what the community needs. It's just a step of faith away. So I invite you to a few things. One, if you are a person watching online or if you're in this room and you don't know that God really, really, really deeply loves you and values you and that he's calling you to something great, feel free to come in just a moment. I can invite the elders up and be prayed for that you might be saved, be healed, be used. If you're a person who devalues your gift, I hope that you recognize in this space, nope, your gift is not lacking in value. In fact, we need it. We need you to step out in faith and use it. And if you're a person who recognizes that you have some gifts but are afraid of more, 
Don't be. Step out in them. We have the opportunity right now and right now alone to act in faith, to praise the Lord without seeing him face to face. The last word, maybe it'll tie it all together, maybe it'll add confusion. You cannot be a sacrifice if death isn't still on the line, right? For me to be a living sacrifice, for me to love God and love my neighbors in the way that I can now, I have to be alive to the threat of death, which means when heaven comes and we await that and we anticipate that and we celebrate that and all of the inheritance that comes with us, I will have missed my opportunity to praise God, to worship God as a living sacrifice in the way that I can only now. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. Let's invite the elders up. Let's pray. Invite the band up as well. Lord, I pray that you would attack our pride and our shame head on. That you would wrest from our heart all of the fear, the unwillingness, the stubbornness, these blocks that we've built up as protection. Draw near to us, Lord, and help us to draw near to you. I pray for Springs Community Church that it would be a place where each and every part is valued and is celebrated and is useful. Lord, give us the spectacular gifts as a sign of your kingdom. And Lord, give us the humble gifts as a sign of your character. And in all things, lead us to you. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to your feet. Let's sing the doxology together in closing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The Lord bless you, keep you. Let His face shine upon you. Let His countenance turn towards you and give you peace as you go. In Jesus' name, we're going to continue to worship. If you'd like to join us, There's elders up here to pray with you if you so choose. Have a great day.